Well, good morning again. Good to see you. Good to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to stand one last time with me as we hear the word of the Lord together. I'm reading from Romans chapter 12, uh, from verse 9 to 21. And I'm going to preface this sermon simply by saying there's no way I can preach on all of it. So maybe the Lord will give me another opportunity to preach on the rest of it, but I will be very specific in my thoughts and reflections this morning. As we prepare to hear the word of the Lord, I invite you um, to open your hearts uh, as much as your ears to what it says. One commentator on this passage says, it's a very hard text to preach on because it is so clear that it requires very little exposition and exegetical prowess. It just needs to be heard. So as we hear, even if you don't listen to the brilliant thoughts that I will share in a few minutes, Al, if you just allow the words to fall upon your heart and mind, that's enough. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, this morning, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us all, including myself, to not only be hearers today, those who listen and perhaps learn, but those who seek to live it. 
May your spirit accomplish through your word that which only you can in us. And may we respond in obedience to what we are called to be and do. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. There's no doubt that what Christ did in the life of Paul changed him dramatically. One of the most significant changes that happened in Paul's life was that he went from somebody who thought that these fledgling followers of Jesus were a threat to seeing them as the very people of God. In fact, when the Apostle Paul writes, and he has been credited with writing vast amounts of what we call our New Testament, it is important to recognize that a lot of his theology comes out of the experience he had with Christ himself. A lot of the teachings he gives comes out of relationship to the context that the churches are in that he is ministering to. Said differently, Paul does not just give great theological insights and preaches from a distance, but he preaches out of an experience of knowing Christ. A knowing that transformed him entirely. A knowing that, 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 that meant that the Apostle Paul would say things, I once thought that I knew, but now <laughs> I know. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, we believe that it is a group of smaller perhaps house gatherings, and he desires to teach them how, what it means to live out their faith, what it means to be transformed in the way that they think about who they are in a world that tended to want to squeeze them into ways that does not honor God. One of the things that I think we often tend to think is that we're living in unprecedented times when it comes to living in a secular culture that does not uphold Christian values. If you read the New Testament, you would quickly understand, you would quickly see that the early church faced some of the very same challenges we face. Uh, they lived under Roman oppression. The Pax Romano, the peace of Rome, was brought about by the rule of Rome and the power of the authority and their military, and yet amidst it all, the Apostle Paul will say, you must live in such a way that you embrace and incarnate the peace of Christ. You need to think differently, even in a world that does not necessarily support who you desire to be. Not in my notes, free of charge. I think it is important that the church develops such a confidence in who is our Lord that amidst all that we endure, we have hope that we can still be the people of God. So, the Apostle Paul challenges these believers to live in a different way. And he begins by saying we, they need to have a new way of thought, a transformed mind versus a darkened mind. Uh, there's two challenges before I give you just a few points. So good to see you. Is that Lori sitting back there? 
I don't have my glasses on. I'm very impressed with myself right now. That would have been very awkward, wouldn't it, if you were not Lori. You may not be, you're just playing along. <laughs> yes. The first challenge then is that uh, we are tempted to pursue our Christian way of life with old ways of thinking. There is nothing more counterintuitive than wanting to live in the ways of Jesus employing our way of thinking as opposed to that that comes from God. And there's a sense in which the older we, beget, we, be, we become, it is harder for us to be confronted with that which would challenge the way we become comfortable with. The Apostle Paul will teach us throughout his letter and throughout his ministry that those who follow Jesus must become open to a transformation that challenges pre-existing beliefs and thoughts, that challenges us in such a way to be open that God may want us to think differently, to see differently, to be renewed in our mind means that we are no longer seeking to be conformed by what the world says is the way we should live, but we become open to the leading of God and the principles of Scripture that shapes and guides who we ought to be as a people. Such transformation doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't just happen at the snap of a finger or saying, God, give me a new mind. But it certainly begins with that kind of prayer that says, God, help me to be able to understand your ways. The greatest presumption is that we can be Christian and remain unchanged. The Apostle Paul will say that to be transformed by the renewing of your mind is to actually not allow the world to dictate and set the pace for your decisions and your values, but it is to allow the Spirit to lead you and in humble response to the Spirit's leading to discern, to do the work of what it means to work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. Pastor Brittany said something fascinating last week that just caught my attention. She talked about how Christianity requires practice. We live in such an experiential world where this is how it goes, right? If it feels good, I'll believe it. If it feels okay to me, that's what I will go with. But Christianity challenges us to more than just an experiential discernment of truth. It invites us into practices that shape who we become as people of God. And sometimes in obedience to that invitation, it doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always feel like I want to love somebody. It doesn't always feel like I want to get up for church on Sunday morning. Ouch. I'm the pastor, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Paul would have us understand that when he starts to challenge us and challenge the church, he wants to challenge them to change the way they think about what it means to walk in the ways of Jesus. I think a second thing that he challenges before we even get to the text is that he challenges this perspective that to be Christian is just about my faith and my walk. Do you know the vast material of the Old and the New Testament is directed to a people, not just to a me, not just to an individual? I have some sense 
that why we like individual, focusing on the individual is because it leaves us perhaps with sufficient excuse and space not to be accountable or responsible for the church. If you heard me, you would probably say, ouch. That there's a sense in which when we want to hear what Paul says about what it means to be the people of God, we cannot simply hear it as, what is Pastor Stu's message teaching me individually? We actually have to hear it this way. What is the Word of God inviting me to become in relationship with those whom are my brothers and sisters in Christ? Challenge number one. To think we can do this with old ways of thinking. Challenge number two, to think we can be who God wants us to be on our own. Now let me qualify what I'm going to say next with this. I think COVID has given me the permission to sit on a stool. Don't send me a note about this. I'm wearing a jacket today, so that makes up for it. (laughs) Yeah. I knew this would happen. You know, like this whole COVID season, you're holding back, you're holding back, and then when it's kind of done, it's like everything comes out. So you know what my prayer was this morning? Lord, help me not to speak what I shouldn't. So right now, the Spirit is checking me. I think that it is easier to live our lives as Christians caring about ourselves primarily without becoming the kind of people who discern that our very Christian lives are not just measured by how we are doing with God, but by how we are doing with God. Let me put it a different way. The reason why it's become easy in the Western world for us to disassociate from Christian community is because we have allowed the world to conform our thoughts about what it means to be human. We have allowed the world to say to us that your rights, your personal well-being, you are at the center of the universe. And what matters to you is where everything begins. If we listen to the Apostle Paul, we will find out that he challenges any perspective of following Jesus that puts us in the center of all that God wants to do and invites us as the church to consider that our witness together is what God has always had in mind. I've said this repeatedly over the last year. God loves each individual here, cares about your needs, cares about what you're dealing with, cares about the challenges you're carrying. I watched a presentation recently in which somebody explained the vastness of the universe and the examples they used blew my mind to think how great and how vast this universe is. And instead of responding to that reality with some sense of my own insignificance and wondering whether God cares about me, I was taken aback by the God who creates so infinitely, so beyond my comprehension and understanding, and yet cares about the individual 
individual that sits here, their needs, their problems, their challenges, and so forth. God is the Alpha and the Omega, but He is also the personal God who through Christ died on the cross so that each one of us may know what we have been destined to become. And there is a sense in which the Apostle Paul is only apprehended when we ask, Lord, how are we doing? How are we living? Can I say this? I think it is easier to go it alone. My, 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 my kids have started to drive. Whew. No, I don't, they're good drivers. <laughs> don't do that, Bob. I'm going to get in trouble. They're good drivers, but i got to be honest with you. There's times that I just want to take the steering wheel. I just want to be in control. I just want to... And, and when they're driving, they can tell you this, and you can speak to them. If you're going to get to that age as parents where you get, your kids are going to start driving, you'll quickly learn that at some point, giving up control is one of the hardest things to do as a parent. I wonder sometimes... If when it comes to being participant to the work of God as a community of faith, that what holds us back most is our fear of having to give up control and to trust beyond ourselves. The work of being a church, this is not even the text yet, but the work of being the church is hard work. The work of learning how to love is hard work. The work of learning how to bless those who oppose us is hard work. The work of learning how to put others first beyond ourselves, this is hard work, but this is the life to which the Apostle Paul calls the early church and the life that Christ died to make possible for us today. It is when the church is reconfigured in these dynamic ways that the Spirit enables amongst us that we are able to be a witness unto the world. The world seeks itself, its own well-being. We seek the well-being of others so that the world through us may be blessed and reconciled unto God. And so this morning, as I get back to my notes... I don't think I have anything special to say to you today. But maybe therein lies the gift. The challenge in the text is not to understand what it means. I think it is fairly straightforward. But to respond to what it calls for. Two things we must avert. Is to think that we do this on our own. And that we don't need to change our thinking. The first thing our text says is simply this, love sincerely. Literal translation from the original language. It's kind of a hybrid word. It's love unhypocritically. Now, here's the deal. When most of us hear that word, you know, love sincerely or love unhypocritically, maybe the question we ask is, I don't know if it's possible to love somebody if I don't like them. Like get an Amen. <laughs> Lord, the Spirit again, just bringing me back onto the road. But for Paul and perhaps for the early church, love was more than just a feeling. 
In fact, a way to think about love as it is used in the text is to think of love as right action towards somebody even if you don't like them. Here's what happens in an experientially driven culture. We think we cannot love others because right now we may not like them. We think that we cannot love one another even when we disagree with each other. Can I get a whoop whoop? But what the Apostle Paul is doing in the Roman church in which there is this superiority complex, these people that are criticizing one another, that are looking at each other as you are less than and I am more than, and he's saying, you need to learn how to love in the right actions. And you know what is interesting? When we begin to love by acting towards the goodwill of somebody else, very often, not always, but very often, God starts to shape the attitudes, the disposition, and even the emotional tenure of our hearts towards the other. If I could put it this way, one of the key questions to thinking differently is to grab a biblical understanding of love that does not begin with whether I like it, but begins with discerning what does it mean for me to act in a way that blesses, strengthens, encourages, helps the other. Paul would say, let love be without hypocrisy. Love sincerely. What would it look like to not allow feelings to become the primary motivation for loving anyone? I'm sure that Ruthann would say to you, as perfect as a husband as I've been, <laughs> that's not where you laugh, 20, 20, is it 23 years, honey? <laughs> of stellar performance. <laughs> um, that there's probably been a few days where she didn't like me that much. I know what you're thinking. He's so likable. I use this example simply to say that my wife has never stopped loving me because what she does day in and day out in our home and in work and in relationship to me teaches me that despite the moments where it is rough and hard and you just want the other person to go to work already. I know some of you have been praying that this whole, this whole season. We like being together, but man, we need to be apart sometimes. That I've never questioned a faithfulness and a love to me. I wonder if the church that God wants to grow here at Skyview can rest in this understanding of love, can be discerning of the ways in which God is inviting us towards acts of love, towards living in particular ways that does not deny our feelings, but does not use our feelings as a reason to not care for even those who don't care for us. 
You know, um, I've experienced people who don't like me. I know you're shocked. <laughs> I have actually experienced people who have resisted friendship with me, people who have not been kind to me. And I have to be honest with you. Using, using a Greek word. That sucks. <laughs> and the temptation in my heart, as it is in any one of our hearts, is this, when our affection is rebuffed or our desire for relationship is rebuffed, we tend to want to act in ways that does not bring end to the strife and the conflict and the polarization but amplify it. I did not mean to rest on this one point for so long, and it's okay. I don't have to preach the other points. But I wonder if we start to begin to, to capture again the power of this dynamic of Christian love, whether we will be able to work through things we think are not possible to work through. Let me put it this way. The absence of love in a community does not come from <laughs> our feelings. And even at times whether we feel charitable to one another. But it comes from the absence of loving in ways that says consistently to our brothers and our sisters, even when we are at odds, we still love you. The Apostle Paul says, love sincerely. Hate evil and grab onto what is good. I have good notes on that one. Maybe I'll just quote William Barclay real quick. Barclay put it this way, most people don't hate evil, they hate the consequences of evil. <laughs> You know what Paul is trying to teach us? He's trying to say, I, I don't want you just to simply do the right thing because you fear what will happen to you. You say, I want you to cling to that which is good because you love the good God that he is. He challenges us to love with mutual affection. You know, feelings may not be the starting point, but certainly mutual affection has the sense in the meaning of the text of actually growing in affection for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, learning how to be the kind of people who in our very relationships with one another esteems with each other, wants to outdo one another, not in getting ahead, but according to the text, in showing honor. Have you ever seen those commercials where they show Black Friday in Canada after they've just shown us, and I do apologize to my American staff, the horror of Black Friday in the United States? Usually in like some urban metropolis where there are hundreds, if not thousands of people trying to cram through a, a small door to get that big screen TV. And then they show the Canadian version, and there's a guy walking up to the door, and there's a person 50 feet behind him. He opens the door and he waits. <laughs> I 
I think we do have that perspective. There's wonderful things about this culture, don't get me wrong. I think that Canadians are polite, Canadians are kind, Canadians are nice. So are Americans. But what I want to make clear is that what Paul is saying, there is a way in which it's not just about opening doors for others. It is a way of life that actually seeks the well-being and welfare of someone else before myself. What would marriages look like? What would relationships look like? What would it look like when we think of others first? This is what it means to love. The Apostle Paul would say, don't burn out, keep yourself fueled and aflamed. I, I got I, I to say this to you, uh, that, that, that this has been a hard season. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I know we're all ramping up, right? <laughs> I didn't bring out my cowboy hat today. Can I just be really transparent with you? I feel like I'm running on empty. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just feel so, is this, I hope this is a Canadian phrase that makes sense, doggone tired. Merle, am I okay? So, so, <laughs> it's good having you back, Merle. That when I read this text, I said, Lord, I don't know if I can preach this with any sense of authenticity, because to be honest with you, I don't feel like I am zealous, that I'm ardent in spirit. I like reading Peterson along these texts. He, he puts it this way. He says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. You know, the Christian life is one that requires care. The kind of care that many of us might understand more when it comes to other aspects of our life, our health, uh, our workplace. We, we care. We do the things we need to do to be successful there. We, we do the things we need to do to be successful, perhaps, you know, in our physical health, but do we do the kinds of things that ensures our Christian life remains full of fire and power, <laughs> that, that we are the kinds of people that even in the hard times where we are feeling the way we are, and it's okay to be there at times, but does not lead us to places where we can no longer be who God wants us to be. I think that when we live on empty for too long, we stop believing that there is something like the fire of God in our bones. You know, people have said for a long time, talking about culture and church and worship, they said, you know, they've talked about different things. You know, some believe that we need to sing different types of songs. You know, we've had that, we've had those conversations. You know, hymn, we, we, hymns versus choruses, that, that will invigorate, you know, and depending on which side of the scale you fall on. 
or perhaps if we bring back certain things uh, or get rid of certain things. And, you know, here's a thesis from the Apostle Paul. You know what fire uh, falls upon those who give themselves to God in such a way and, and open themselves to His Spirit in powerful ways that it actually doesn't really matter what the tune is and the song choice is, but there's something happening in here that just comes out. And we wouldn't have to work at conjuring up emotions. We don't use that here. We don't use strobe lighting. We don't try to conjure up feelings. But the passion for God, the zeal of God, does not stem from the external. It comes from the person and the people who says, breathe on me, breath of God. How does that happen? It happens through worship. It happens through His Word. It happens through attentiveness to His Scriptures. But I can think of no more powerful way than the Spirit fills the life of the believer in the church than through prayer. Don't burn out. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Boy, yeah, okay, I'm done. I wonder as, um, as Helen comes back to lead us in a closing song, um, whether we would take a moment. Uh, when I was growing up in South Africa, and uh, I was, my dad was a pastor, and um, we, we would have, this as a standard practice of our church services, worship services, is that there would be, we called it family altar. Does that make sense? In times where we had several benches, they were not as nice as these ones here, but we had several benches, and I'm not going to make you awkward in asking you to come. But it was a time in which um, individuals and family members um, came and just prayed. Uh, sometimes it would stretch the service out because those folks didn't know when to stop praying. But you know, as much as I preach about these things and as much as I try to teach about these things, I think we need to just practice these things. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do, whether you're comfortable standing or sitting. As Helen leads us in this next song, would you find a way of speaking to the Lord? Would you find a way of reaching out to Him today? Father God, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for Your people. I thank You because I know what I am without You. And yet Your grace is enough. Father, I need this community to be who you want me to be. And each one in this church needs one another to be the witness we are called to be. May some of us discern the gift of the community of faith today. May our hearts become open to those who we don't yet know. May we discern today that you are calling us to be a part of something meaningful and 
that when we do not show up in terms of a willingness to participate and to share our gifts, whether it be, Lord, in, in, in something as simple as cleaning the church or handing out hampers to those who are less fortunate, that the body suffers. Help us to recognize that how we work through challenges as a church says so much more to the world about who you are than we think. Help us to love as we've been loved. May your spirit continue to lead and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.